Wednesday, July 24th, 2013, episode number 54 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, here on this Wednesday, July the 24th, 2013, NFL training camp is now upon us. That's right, the offseason, over, just like that. And that means Football Nation Today will return to its weekly schedule, published every Wednesday for your listening enjoyment, right here on footballnation.com and for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store. Big stories across training camp. That's what we'll talk about today in the first down segment. On-field stuff. Yes. No Aaron Hernandez. No murder investigation. On-field stuff. Actual on-field storylines. Such as Robert Griffin III returning to practice. That knee, six months after surgery, cleared up. We will talk Patriots, but we'll talk about them from an on-field perspective. They lost roughly 75% of their offensive production from a year ago over the offseason. How will they look to replace all of those lost weapons on offense? The Ravens have a new look defense. How will the Super Bowl champions look at the start of training camp? And how will Joe Flacco carry himself, new, the new $100 plus million man? 49ers and Seahawks built themselves up this offseason to prohibitive Super Bowl favorites in the NFC. Sean Payton is back with the Saints, and chaos returns to Dallas. And I frankly couldn't care less. We'll talk about that too in the first down segment. Second down segment, we talk about a major off-field story in the NFL over the past week. More bad news for the Broncos. Linebacker Von Miller is appealing a four-game suspension for for violating the league's substance abuse policy. We'll dive into the specifics of that case, talk about the effect that will have on the Broncos, and also the NFL and the Players Union once again this week talking about HGH testing. We'll give you more details on that. Then in the third down segment, it's the big up or slow down segment. I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying big up or slow down, talking about whether or not the Patriots should have released cornerback Alfonso Dennard after he got arrested for a DUI two weeks ago in Lincoln, Nebraska. Why on probation, nonetheless? Uh, Geno Smith, Jets rookie quarterback, recently signed a four-year deal, expects to be in the competition for starting quarterback, but did not go to Mark Sanchez's QB camp a couple of weeks ago. Was that a bad move? And speaking of quarterback controversies, the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Foles and Matt Barkley have made it clear they are gunning for Mike Vick's job. Interesting stuff in Philadelphia. What kind of environment will that create in Eagles camp with new head coach Chip Kelly? And then the fourth down segment, it's a bit, it's the Reamer rant. And this week we're taking a look at Jeff Demps. You know Jeff Demps, now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, formerly a New England Patriot, the track star who wants to play in the NFL on the side. Well... He's not going to join the Buccaneers until late August because he needs to run for the United States in Moscow next month. Unbelievable, this guy, huh? What a slap in the face to the league. We'll talk more about that. It's Football Nation Today, episode number 54. My name is Alex Reamer. Football's right around the corner. In fact, it's here. 
I'm excited. You're excited. Let's get right into it. Football Nation. So here we go, first down segment, where we typically talk about the biggest on-field NFL stories of the past week. Throughout training camp, we'll mix in some interviews in this segment, talk about how teams are looking as the preseason begins and progresses. But this week, since camps are opening up across the NFL, I thought it would be appropriate to look at the five biggest storylines I have my eyes on across the league. Now I'm going to start off, though, by telling you one team I am not interested in this preseason. And this is a team that seemingly everybody else is interested in across the country, and I cannot figure out why. And listeners to the show can probably guess which team I'm referring to. The Dallas Cowboys. I am sick and tired of the drama surrounding the Cowboys and the coverage it generates. You look at all the other teams across sports that receive a plethora of national media attention. The Yankees have made the playoffs every year but once since 1996. They'll probably miss the postseason this year, but nonetheless, hell of a track record of recent success. The Lakers had a bad year last season, recovered wall to wall. I understand it got annoying at times, but they have still one of the best players in the world on their roster and Kobe Bryant, and they won an NBA championship in 2010, not all that long ago. The Red Sox, covered wall-to-wall, haven't made the playoffs since 2009, but they have two recent World Series titles in 2004 and 2007. The Patriots, three Super Bowls in four years, 2001, 2003, 2004, have made the playoffs every year but twice since 2001, and in 2002 and 2008, the years they missed out on the playoffs, they they lost tiebreakers. All those teams, along with the Cowboys, generate a lot of national media attention. But all of those teams except the Cowboys generate the national media attention, generate the interest because they've been successful. And they've been successful recently. They're at the top of their leagues. Lakers, Patriots, Yankees, Red Sox, they dominate their leagues. The Cowboys have not dominated the NFL for close to 20 years. The Cowboys have two, that's right, two playoff wins since 1995. One playoff win since 1996. They're not deserving of the coverage they receive, not even close. Who cares about a perpetually mediocre 8-8 or 9-7 football team that misses out on the playoffs because their quarterback chokes in big games? Who cares about a perpetually underachieving football team that's always hurt, never placed the potential, has an egomaniacal owner who undercuts his coaches? Who cares about this team? Enough with the Cowboys, please. We have limited time on this show. I only get to speak to you beautiful people once per week. I'm not going to waste a lot of time talking about a mediocre football team. So if you're looking for wall-to-wall Cowboys coverage, listen to another podcast, do something else. It's not happening here. I prefer to talk about good teams in my limited time with you, not mediocre ones. And and a team like the Cowboys that has been mediocre for going on 20 years now. 
But there was a lot of controversy in Big D this week. Offensive coordinator Bill Callahan will do the play calling, not head coach Jason Garrett. Jerry Jones insists this isn't a knock on Garrett or sign that this is his Armageddon year. But if that's the case, then why did Jones not admit right away that Callahan would be calling the plays? When first asked about it, reading this off the Washington Post. I mean, that, the Washington Post covers the Cowboys. I mean, come on, it's out of control. But anyway, when first asked about the change of play calling duties, Jerry Jones said, I don't want to say. He followed that up by saying, if you've been looking at practice, you can get a pretty good idea of how it's going to be there. You can see Bill very involved in what we're doing. Okay, so he said it without saying it. But he didn't outwardly say it. Ah, I have an ice cream headache even thinking about it, and I don't even want to think about it. Tony Romo is coming out of shape at a reported 236 pounds. That's a good look after getting that new contract extension. Already injuries on defensive line. Jay Ratliff hurt himself. Defensive lineman Tyrone Crawford tore his Achilles tendon in a non-contact drill. Done for the season. Some more injuries already on that Cowboys defense. Same old, same old in Dallas. And I'm sick of it. And we're not talking about them anymore this show. Instead, we're talking about teams that project to be playoff teams in 2013. We're talking about teams that interest me, teams that were good last year, teams that promise to be good or even better this year. The Washington Redskins, who play in the NFC East like the Cowboys do, but they made the playoffs last year. And they did so in large part because of rookie quarterback Robert Griffin III, who is now entering his sophomore season. And it was reported this week, Robert Griffin is cleared to practice a mere six weeks after reconstructive knee surgery. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I'm going to do it here because I'm rarely correct. So when I am, I got to let you know about it. What did I say when Griffin went under the knife with this knee injury? I said he'll be ready for week one. He'll be ready at the beginning of training camp. And what do you know? Late July rolls around, training camp is set to begin, and Robert Griffin III is cleared to practice with no limitations, at least from my knowledge. Maybe they'll hold him back a little bit at the beginning, but he'll be participating in these preseason games, and you can bet your ass he'll be ready when the Redskins take the field in week one. Like Adrian Peterson last year, it now takes less than a year, and in Robert Griffin's case, it takes half a year, six months to recover from a major ACL injury, to recover from reconstructive knee surgery. <laughs> you gotta love modern medicine, huh? And hey, I'm not saying that to spite Robert Griffin. I don't blame anybody for taking advantage of what the medicinal community, the scientific community, has to offer. Now, the real interesting thing here with Robert Griffin is if he will change his style of play. Everybody from NFL pundits to the President of the United States has weighed in on this over the past number of months. My opinion on it, he has to change the way he plays at least slightly. He cannot survive in this league if he keeps getting hit at the rate he got hit in his rookie season. And the thing about Robert Griffin that most impresses me is that he can hurt you with his arm as well. He's not just a running quarterback. I've said this a million times on this show. He's a quarterback who can run. He's not a guy like Mike Vick who can run, but... Who's, who's a guy who runs but plays quarterback. You know, he's a quarterback first, runner second. And that's what makes him so special. That's what makes a guy like Colin Kaepernick or Russell Wilson special as well. 
So Robert Griffin, the real story for him. See how that knee is progressing? It'll progress fine, just as Peterson's did last year. So the real, real story is to see how he will change his style come training camp. How he will change his style in these preseason games. I think it has to happen, at least slightly. And he can still maintain his effectiveness if he stays in the pocket a little bit more. Because again, he's a terrific passer and should only improve in his second full season. Now the Patriots are another big story this training camp. They've lost 75% of their offseason production from a year ago in terms of receptions and more. If you factor in Rob Gronkowski, whose status remains uncertain for week one and certainly uncertain for training camp. Look at the Patriots' prolific offensive attack. They finished in the top three in points per game four of the last six seasons. And one of those seasons was 2008 when Tom Brady was out for the year. And the defense, of course, has been in the bottom 10 in points per game for three consecutive seasons. They were second to last in points per game two years ago in 2011. Now, the big on-field story for the Patriots is how do they replace the offensive production they've lost? And the story that goes untold is they've struggled to integrate new receivers into this offense. Wes Walker and Randy Moss in 2007 have been the exception, not the rule. The Patriots haven't drafted and developed a wide receiver since Deion Branch in 2002. Look at the Patriots drafting history when it comes to the wideout position. It's Oakland Raiders-esque. It truly is that bad. Bethel Johnson, Taylor Price, Chad Jackson, go on down the line of complete and utter busts. That's why I'm not as optimistic as some in projecting Aaron Dobson and Josh Boyce. They're two rookie wide receivers from this past April's draft class. Some people say, oh, well, Dobson and Boyce will come in. There'll be major factors. I'm not ready to say that because no rookie wide receiver has come close to succeeding in this offense since Branch in 2002, which, oh, by the way, was over a decade ago. So I'm not as bullish on Dobson and Boyce as some because I just look at the track record, the recent track record, with this Patriots team when it comes to integrating rookie-wide receivers. And they've also struggled to integrate new veteran receivers. I mean, Donald Jones, signed, already released. Okay, guess that didn't work out. Guess they saw all they needed to see in minicamp. I mean, look at some recent veterans they've brought in. Jolie Galway and Chad Johnson. A combined 22 catches for those guys in their two seasons with the Patriots. Danny Amendola, Michael Jenkins, we'll see. I mean, Amendola, first of all, has to stay on the field. He missed more games last season than Wes Welker missed in his entire tenure with the Patriots. And Amendola, as we know, has only played in 12 games the past two seasons combined. So, when it comes to projecting the Patriots as a playoff team, I still think they win that division and win it rather easily. Because it's a weak AFC East. The Jets suck. The Bills suck more if that's possible. And I'm not a believer in the Dolphins yet. I'm just not. They had a great offseason, but we'll see. What looks good on paper doesn't always look good on the field. And they still have an unproven quarterback in Ryan Tannehill as far as I'm concerned. So the Patriots win the AFC East. They'll win 10-11 games. But the question is, do they struggle early? And does that put them out of the running for that first round bye? Does that put them out of the running for home field advantage or at least a home game in the playoffs? Because with the Patriots, it's all about getting that fourth Super Bowl with Tom Brady, who's 36 and not getting any younger. The defense has to finally step up and win them some games early on. I'm not sure how much talent there is on that offense besides Brady. 
They may have to rely on their running backs early on. Steven Ridley, Shane Vereen behind that offensive line. Logan Mankins and all the other guys up there. And those are two good running backs. I'm looking forward to seeing what the Patriots have from Ridley. But if it's a running-based attack, they're not going to score 30-plus points on a weekly basis. That defense is going to have to make some big plays. And there's a lot of talent there on paper. Devin McCourty, Akib Tlaib, Brandon Spikes, Gerard Mayo, Vince Wilfork. All those guys, first, second round picks. All of those guys, all of those guys have played together now for two to three seasons. It's time for them to mesh and improve as a unit. So this is the year that Patriots defense has to step up and win them some games early on. Or else, they may, they may have to kiss home field advantage and a first round bye, bye bye. And then, what does that do? to their Super Bowl aspirations. And the team that won the Super Bowl last year, the Baltimore Ravens, will be very interesting to watch as training camp begins from a couple of perspectives. Number one, Joe Flacco is the new $120 million man. How does he carry himself now that he is the man in Baltimore? They took away Anquan Bolden, one of his favorite weapons, and now Flacco may have the responsibility to make those around him better, not the other way around. We'll see how he responds to this added responsibility. In this new-look Ravens defense, as we said this offseason, John Harbaugh, Ozzie Newsome, in this Ravens front office wanted a lot of those guys out. They didn't re-sign Ed Reed, Bernard Pollard, Paul Kruger, Danelle Ellerby, not because of cap issues, but just because they didn't want the personnel anymore. Because remember, they spent big on Elvis Dumerville. They brought in safety Michael Huff. The Ravens had some money to spend. They just didn't want to retain those guys for whatever reason. We heard about a locker room mutiny at the midway point uh, last regular season. Maybe that had something to do with it. John Harbaugh wanted a completely new locker room heading into a new year. Whatever the case, this was largely intentional. This remake of the Ravens defense. And we'll see how it looks heading into a new season with the Ravens now defending Super Bowl champs. 49ers and Seahawks both made the playoffs last year, and both are prohibitive Super Bowl favorites out of the NFC. Both teams buffed up. There were already elite defenses this offseason and added to their offenses. The 49ers acquired Bolden. The Seahawks paid a hefty price for wideout Percy Harvin. Colin Kaepernick and Russell Wilson develop as quarterbacks. Curious to see how Marshawn Lynch looks after all the beating he took last season, all the carries he had for that Seahawks team. So we'll see how the 49ers and Seahawks look this training camp. We'll see how Pete Carroll looks in Seattle now that the expectations are high, real high there. They've never been higher for Pete C. Carroll in his NFL career. I know Jim Harbaugh will relish that opportunity. We'll see how Pete Carroll relishes that opportunity. So I'm very curious to see the 49ers and Seahawks in the tempo and mood around those teams as training camp kicks up on the West Coast. Then I'll go down south to finish it out. This is not a playoff team, but it could be a playoff team. In fact, the roster isn't all that different from the Super Bowl team a couple years ago. I'm talking about the New Orleans Saints, the return of the coaching staff, and the return of head coach Sean Payton. That's an NFC South with the uh, Atlanta Falcons, who are another real interesting team to watch. A lot of people have them as preseason favorites. Made a run last season. Matt Ryan won his playoff game, but choked away the NFC title game to the Niners. How did the Falcons get over that, blowing that second-half lead? 
Going to be added pressure from the Saints. Drew Brees will be rejuvenated. They got Sean Payton back. NFC South is always a wide-open division, one of the more competitive divisions in the NFL, and this year promises to be no different. And the Saints, after taking a year off, will be back with Sean Payton in charge, and it should be interesting to see all the questions they answer with Bounty Gate, how they handle everything, and how they, most importantly, handle getting back to business. And business for them is a return to the playoffs. Man, I'm fired up, aren't you? All right, glad we did that. Moving on with the show. The second down segment, taking a look at an off-field story from the past week. And this story involves Broncos linebacker Von Miller, who is appealing a four-game suspension for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Now, under NFL policy, he would have had to test positive for banned substances multiple times to face a four-game suspension. So when Von Miller says he did nothing wrong, obviously he isn't telling, he isn't telling the truth because this is not just a one-time fluke test. He tested positive for banned substances multiple times, hence the hefty four-game suspension. Now, this really affects Denver's defensive scheme. They lost Doomerville this offseason, counting on Miller to take on a lot of his defensive responsibility, rushing the quarterback, and this really throws a wrench into their defensive plans. And if you're the Broncos, you have to be pissed off here. Uh, the NFL Players Association says this was not steroids-related. Um, okay, but we know Miller tested positive for something. He tested positive for a banned substance or substances. We know Miller tested positive in 2011 for amphetamines and marijuana. That was first reported by NBC Sports' Pro Football Talk. But man, as I said, if you're the Broncos, you have to be ticked off. Not just because of all the negative PR, you know, a few weeks after you discipline two front office personnel figures for uh, two front office employees, excuse me, in charge of player personnel for DUIs, so... Never mind the bad publicity, the additional bad publicity this brings a Broncos organization that doesn't need any more of it. But how hard is it to pass one of these tests? I mean, very few players get suspended uh, because they violate the league's substance abuse policy. I mean, Josh Gordon and the Browns recently got suspended as well, and the Browns have to be pissed too. Gordon is a guy who probably factored into their offensive plans to open up, and now he's out of action too to begin the season. And with Gordon, with Miller, come on, how difficult is it to pass these tests? It's not that hard. So few guys get suspended each year, and you know more than a handful of guys who get suspended are taking illegal substances. So it's a big disappointment for the Broncos or any team when one of their players fails one of these tests. Um, but, you know, let's not moralize this either, okay? Let's not talk about the Broncos really have really have gone in the wrong direction here. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate turn of events. Two front office personnel, DUI charges, disciplined by the team, now Miller. It's unfortunate, but the Broncos, like the other 31 teams in the league, are in the business of building a good football team. That's it. These football teams are nothing more, nothing less. And it's sad that sometimes we have to be slapped in the face with these kind of reminders, but sometimes we do. In this Miller case, the substance abuse ban... The pending suspension, I should say, is another reminder of that. Last note on this, though again, the NFLPA says Miller is not going to be suspended due to steroid use. News did break this week. The NFL and the Players Union are talking about implementing HGH testing again. They're going to draw samples from players, blood samples, this training camp as a uh, you know general population sample. Similar to what, similarly to what baseball did in spring training in 2003, 
where 103 players tested positive for some sort of performance-enhancing drugs, which just tells you how rampant steroid use was in baseball. Remember, Major League Baseball did that sample in 03 to determine whether or not drug testing was necessary, and so many players were so juiced up and couldn't get off their cycles that they tested positive anyway and then screwed themselves because now baseball has a testing program in place. So I'd be very curious to see how rampant PED use, or in this case HGH use, is across the NFL. My guess is very rampant, and, I, and my guess is even though players know these tests are coming at some point in training camp, even though players know that if the general population sample is large, the NFLPA is going to have to give in to HGH testing, uh, and sooner rather than later, my bet is a lot of players will still test positive because I think steroid use, HGH use, is that rampant across the NFL. Uh, so we're going to see HGH testing sooner rather than later. Um, but like most things, you know, like the baseball one too, if it's not random, it really means nothing. It's more of a speed bump. It's not a stop sign. And we've d discussed this before on this show. I think that's ultimately all these leagues want. Speed bumps, not stop signs. They know how much the product would suffer. If players didn't take human growth hormone, they know that the NFL knows it's a better game when Adrian Peterson can play a full season, when Robert Griffin can play a sophomore season following reconstructive knee surgery. They know it's a better game when star players aren't missing a significant amount of time. They know HGH greatly aids recovery and other things of that nature. They just have to implement the HGH testing because baseball has it. They have to do it for public relations. And they can put in some speed bumps. I mean, if you're stupid enough to fail not random HGH testing, then you deserve to be suspended for stupidity. So, as long as it's not random, and I haven't read anything that says it'll really be random, then it's more speed bumps, not stop signs. And, again, that's fine with me, and fine with the league. Moving on to our third down segment. It's the Big Upper Slowdown segment. I say a statement. And express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying pick up or slow down. Question number one, Patriots cornerback Alfonso Dennard was arrested for a DUI two weeks ago in Lincoln, Nebraska, while he's on probation, probation for assaulting a police officer in Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know what Dennard's still doing in Lincoln. Get the hell out of there. He's a marked man, I'm telling you. <laughs> Patriots announced this uh, a couple of days ago they are not going to release Dennard. Pick up or slow down, is this the right call in the wake of all that's happened with Aaron Hernandez? I say big up. The Pats made the right call here to keep Dennard on the roster. Every transgression is different, and the Patriots shouldn't be reactionary. Maybe you don't risk it on guns anymore, at least for the time being, post-Hernandez. That's a PR move you might have to make. And it's something the Patriots did make this week as they told defensive lineman John Drew to take a hike. Drew, of course, in college at Duke, got in trouble with guns on campus. So the Patriots tried out Drew, but then told him to take a hike. We're not interested in signing you to a contract right now. And good for the Patriots. And to reiterate, that's probably the right move for them to make right now. I don't know. It would look beyond bad for them to take a risk on a gun guy. But you can't start releasing guys for DUI. You can't start releasing guys for possibly violating probation, and I put in that caveat possibly because Dennard hasn't had his hearing yet. We don't know if he violated his probation. On the surface, it would seem like, yeah, DUI while you're on probation for assaulting a police officer, yeah, that's a violation, but it's not as clear-cut as that. He still has to go through the hearing, so we'll see what happens with Dennard. 
he's incredibly dumb for doing this. I mean, he got a real sweetheart deal this offseason. Of course, we know the ruling, 30 days in jail, but not until next March, I believe it is. And even then, he probably won't serve the full 30 days. So the judge did him a favor a couple months ago, giving him the jail time where he can play the full season this year, play the full season next year, not miss any camps. Dennard got a real sweetheart deal. It affected his career 0%. Now this may greatly affect his career. We'll see. I'm not sure how forgiving the judge will be. He has to go back to that same judge who gave him the sweetheart deal with this DUI and have that probation hearing. And then he has to have the DUI hearing. So more charges on top of that. But still, nothing's official yet. As of right now, Dennard will report to camp. All the Patriots know right now is he's going to miss one day. That's it. When he goes back to Nebraska for his hearing. And then they'll reevaluate the situation, as they should. But you can't be reactionary. And you can't release guys for DUI. You can't release guys before they go in front of a judge. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. I mean, I guess you can release him, but then you'd have a lousy football team. As we said with the Broncos and the Patriots several weeks ago, and for the past several weeks, these are football teams, nothing more. And I'm sure the Patriots will take care of it internally. I'm sure they'll find Dennard up the wazoo. I'm sure they'll attempt to address this issue. But I don't want the Patriots to dramatically change the way they operate. I don't. I don't think they should. They're in the business of putting together a good football team. And I'm sorry to disappoint all of you moralizers out there, but that's what they are. A football team. Not a beacon of morality and purity. The Jets certainly are not a beacon of purity. Not a beacon of morality. A, really, just a beacon of nothing but sucking. Um, Geno Smith did sign a four-year deal with the Jets this week, an incentive-laden rookie contract, a lot of workout bonuses there, which maybe tells you what kind of questions the Jets have about his commitment level. And of course, those are some of the whispers about Smith prior to the draft. But the issue we're tackling here in the third down segment is that Geno Smith did not attend quarterback Mark Sanchez's QB camp. Now, of course, training camp begins this week, so we'll see Smith and Sanchez interact. So the question is, big up or slow down, is the Smith and Sanchez relationship off to a frosty start? And I will say, yes, big up. It is up to a frosty start. And yeah, it's kind of a big deal that Smith didn't go to the camp. And a lot of people joke, oh, the last guy I want Geno Smith learning the quarterback position from is Mark Sanchez. And I would agree with those people. But still, Smith is a rookie. A lot of Jets go. His peers go. He should have gone to the camp. And I know players in competition with each other aren't going to be friends, and it's fine to be in competition with each other, as we'll talk about with the Eagles momentarily, but at the onset, Smith should have at least tried to put on a little bit of a show, play nice with Sanchez, play nice with the Jets, and he didn't even do that, didn't even attempt it. So, yeah, not a wise move for Smith. Curious to see how that all starts up with the Jets. Final question here, another quarterback controversy, the Eagles, new coach Chip Kelly, and a new spirit of competition. Nick Foles and Matt Barkley have made it clear they want to start over Michael Vick. Foles said he's not there to be a backup. He's not there to sit on the bench. Barkley said his mindset is that he's in the race to start. Big up or slow down, are Foles and Barkley wise to keep talking, or are they creating an uneasy environment? We're going to go three for three this week. Three big ups. Yeah, Foles, Barkley, keep on talking. Bring on the competition. The Philadelphia Eagles and Mike Vick could use some of that 
competitive spirit. The past two years, the Eagles have failed miserably. They failed miserably because, like we've seen a lot of sports, you can't win through free agency. They built a star-studded roster at the top. It didn't have a lot of depth, and you need to have depth to win in professional sports. So, yes, from a team-building aspect, they failed. But, it looked, but they looked especially bad while they were failing because they didn't have competitive guys. And Deshaun Jackson's still there, so... Some of the same core guys are there, but it's a new voice in Chip Kelly. It's a new spirit of competition. And maybe it'll be corny. Maybe it will flame out. I mean, if Foles and Barkley can't play, it doesn't matter. But it's a good start because the Eagles just need to look better at this stage. It's training camp. Preseason games haven't even begun yet. They just need to tell the fan base there that they're off to a new beginning. And you have Foles and Barkley, your two backup quarterbacks, coming on right away, first days of camp, saying, yeah, we're going to challenge Vic. We want to start. That looks good. And fans are easy to pander to. So, yes, big up. Wise move. Keep talking, Foles and Barkley. Bring on the competitive spirit. And Vic, you can say what you want about him. But he's a professional football player. Been in this game for a long time. He knows it's business, not personal. So, I don't see any problems there. New coach, new spirit of competitiveness. Bring it on. Wrapping up the program, fourth down segment, Jeff Demps traded from the Patriots to Buccaneers for running back LeGarrette Blount this offseason. Demps says, bring on the NFL season on my own terms. Yes, Jeff Demps wants to have his cake and eat it too. The sprinter will run for the U.S. Re re relay team in Moscow next month. The final is held, get this, August 18th, meaning Demps won't join the Buccaneers until late in the preseason. So my question is, as I said in the opening, why does Demps insist on being an NFL player? Just be a sprinter. You're obviously a whole lot better at that than playing football. I mean, what are you going to be playing football? A kick return, a punt return, a maximum? That's your ceiling? That's what you're going to max out as? You're an elite sprinter. You're on the United States National Relay Team. Do that. What are you doing with this football charade? Either you're committed to the NFL or you're not. You can't have it both ways here, Demps. And he's trying to have it both ways. And it's amazing to me that the Buccaneers and Greg Schiano, I thought Greg Schiano was this big, tough guy. You know, he takes no plays off. You know, even a kneel down play. He has a defensive player's charging the offensive line. Well, okay, big, tough guy. We're going to get with Demps, this marginal player. Either he has to make commitment to you, or he doesn't. And if he wants to go on and sprint, that's fine. Let him sprint. Do our country proud. USA, USA, we'll be there cheering you on. But then you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't also be a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if you don't want to start the NFL preseason until after August 18th. I mean, what are you going to have, a week and a half, two weeks of training camp? I mean, that's ridiculous. So... The whole thing is ridiculous when you think about it. So, Jeff Demps, pick one or the other. If you want to be a sprinter, fine. It's a free country. That's why they make vanilla and chocolate. Be a sprinter. But you can't be both an NFL player and a sprinter. doesn't work like that. The schedules conflict. And I don't think his teammates see Demps. I don't think his teammates will treat this rookie who missed last season, misses almost the entirety of the preseason in 2013. I mean, how are his teammates going to treat this guy. I mean, you think regular rookies get it bad? At least they're there on day one. Demps, my God. Rookie season will last all year for this poor guy if he does make it to the Buccaneers. But I don't even call him a poor guy because he's doing this to himself. Disrespectful to his team. It's disrespectful to the league. 
pick one or the other. So thank you for tuning in to episode number 54 of Football Nation today. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer. As always, if you want to send me an email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address. And also feel free to drop me a line on Twitter, which is what all the cool kids are doing these days. At AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. If you couldn't tell this week, I'm very excited to begin the NFL season. Training camp starting up. It's about time. As I said, bring on some guests throughout training camp as we head into the month of August. Preview some teams. Talk about the biggest storylines from around training camp. And get you ready for week one, which is coming sooner than you think. So thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. We're back on our weekly schedule, meaning we will talk to you next Wednesday. So long.